My wife has completed writing a children's book. It's published and is being sold at the ABC. And they asked her if she would be willing to sit there during camp meeting on certain nights and sign the book for people who purchased it. And she was willing to do that, but being a creative person, she did not want just a table. She's thinking in terms of ambiance and all that. And the, the book is about a girl whose hair wouldn't curl. It's a poem, and it's uh, pretty cool. I mean, it's really cool. Anyways, the girl that is featured in the story, Karen kept thinking in terms of she needed to make a doll that looked like that girl. It just so happened uh, street, uh, on our street, just down from us, Melissa Thompson lives, and she's a member of our church, and she's very good with sewing and crafts and things like that. They got together and they talked, and they decided to design a doll, which they did. The doll is pretty big, has long, skinny legs, long, skinny arms, and a torso that looks kind of normal, and a big head. And what they did for the torso to give it some stability is they filled it full of beans. So it's actually pretty heavy. And uh, about the time they completed that, Karen had designed the head, which is big. It's not big and round. It's big and somewhat flat, almost like a pillow. But it's in the shape of the girl's head, got her smile. It really captures her well. But... Melissa was going to have some folks over and uh, she didn't have time to attach the head. So gave Karen the suggestion, they worked it out how to do it. And that was to take a stout yardstick, cut it at a certain length, put part of it up inside the head, and then the other part would go down into the abdomen of the doll. And that was my contribution to the creativity. I got to cut the yardstick at the proper length. So Karen put the yardstick in the doll's head, attached it, and then got it down into the abdomen and had her beautiful doll. And she was set up at the ABC signing books. <clears throat> A little girl came by, saw the doll, loved the doll, talked about the doll, told her mommy she wanted the doll, and actually walked away, came back several times expressing how excited she was about the doll. Well, one time in her exuberance, she either bumped the table or she knocked the doll. Karen didn't see. All Karen knows is the doll fell over. And when it fell over, the head came off. And it freaked the little girl out. And she said, oh, I don't want that doll anymore. She had seen the inner workings of the doll. And it no longer held for her the beauty that she thought it was. You know, we have a tendency when we read about people in the Bible. We have a tendency to look at the outer areas of their lives or the ultimate areas of their lives, not realizing that a lot of growth took place to get them from point A to where we find them doing heroic things in the name of God. And we also 
learn, if we're careful with the scriptures, we also learn that these great men and women of God were just like us. They only accepted God's call on their life and did what he asked them to do by his power. And so today, we're going to continue our study about Moses, but we're going to look inside of Moses a little bit today, and we're going to discover, you know what? He was a lot like us. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. God has appeared to Moses and told him to go back to Egypt and to deliver the children of Israel. Moses has tried every way possible to get out of it. He could not. Every situation Moses presented, God had an answer. So in surrender, we come to verse 18. It says, Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now I want you to note something. This is important. A call from God does not negate the need for manners. The greatest authority there is has told Moses to go to Egypt. Moses still recognizes he has familial relationships with his father-in-law. Moses is in charge of his father-in-law's sheep. He can't just walk away from that. He has a family. He just can't walk away from that. So out of politeness, he goes back home to Jethro, tells him he wants to go back to Egypt, he gets Jethro's blessing. What's interesting is that Moses does not say a word about the burning bush. Moses does not say a word about why he's going back. He gives a mm, story, if you will. I want to go see if my family is well. Makes you wonder why he didn't say anything Perhaps he thought it was too hard to explain. How can you explain to somebody that God spoke to you through a flame that was on a bush? Maybe Moses thought it simply is not necessary to explain it. Perhaps Moses doesn't like conflict and didn't want to enter into a discussion about it. And maybe deep down inside, Moses might be wondering if it's really going to work anyways. But whatever his reason, he doesn't say a thing to Jethro. He just says, I want to go back to Egypt to check on my family. Well, we come to verse 19. And the Lord speaks to Moses, said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men are dead who sought your life. God is assuring Moses regarding his doubts and fears. Why would God say that unless Moses was worried about that? So Moses is worried. He's going to go back to Egypt and the people that have threatened to take his life are still there. They're going to take his life and all this is going to come to nothing. 
Now look, Moses has been spoken to by God. God has told him what to do. God has assured him success. God has said he would be with him. God is on the scene, if you will. Yet Moses is reticent. Moses is fearful. Moses doesn't know. Moses isn't sure. Moses has not yet developed the type of faith that we associate with him. That is a process. But notice how God treats people who are doubting, who are fearful, who are confused. God does not forsake that person. God picks them up where they're at and in his great mercy and tenderness deals with them at that level. We can even read that in the Bible. Uh, keep your hand here in Exodus 4 or put a marker there and go to the right to the Psalms. Go to Psalm 103. King David wrote this psalm 400 years after Moses. And we're going to start reading Psalm 103 in verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That's a beautiful picture of God and how he looks at humanity. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, we read verse 20. Then Moses took his wife and his sons, their two sons, and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. If you think about it, it's a pitiful scene. Moses, Zipporah, their two sons, solemnly walking to Egypt. This is not a vacation. They're not going to Disneyland. They're headed to who knows what. And as we will read in a few verses, this is not a united home at this point. Zipporah has left everything she knows. Zipporah is leaving family and everything that is familiar to her. And she is filled with tension, and in a few verses, that tension is going to explode. We'll see it. These were real people. They had real fears. They had real wants and real needs. And she apparently does not want to be on this trip. She does not want to be there. 
But let's be fair. How many wives here would believe their husband's story about talking to God? How many wives here would say, hey, I'm all in. Let's leave everything I know, everything I've ever understood, all the security I have in life. Let's do that and follow your dream. That's a lot to ask a woman. And as we will see in a little while, they are not together religiously. But they move on. Zipporah sulking at having to leave home and Moses weighed down with the awful responsibility he feels towards this trip. Well, God comes on the scene again, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. We will study that down the road exhaustively and you'll understand what God means hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Okay, God speaks again. They continue traveling and we're going to see an unraveling take place. I'm going to read the next three verses without pausing and then we'll discuss what they mean. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him, that's Moses, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So God let Moses go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Wow. Sounds like a fun trip so far. God is seeking to take Moses' life. Now, what's interesting to me is that Moses is the one who writes this. And on one hand, we all understand if God was seeking to take Moses' life, it had been gone. Yet, Moses recognizes the affliction that comes upon him, an affliction that was taking his very life. He says it came from God. God brought that on me. They have two sons. Only one son is circumcised in this story. That means the other son must have been circumcised already. Thus we have an insight into the home. Moses was Hebrew. And the first child that was born, he had him circumcised. Like all Hebrew boys were circumcised. But it didn't set well with Zipporah, who is not Hebrew, and apparently by the time the second child comes around, she put her foot down and said, no, I am not going to inflict that type of thing upon my child. Moses does not like confrontation. Moses is trying to keep peace in the home, so he lets that one slip by. And now he is on his way 
to be used by God to deliver the children of the covenant, Abraham's covenant. And he himself is not keeping the covenant sign, which is circumcision. So God arrested him in rout. Now, this is the only case I know in recorded history where a woman performs a circumcision. Moses is too sick to do it. She does it, but her heart is not in it. She cuts the foreskin off the baby and then throws it at Moses and calls him a husband of blood. It's a happy home. You know, these are normal people. And some of you are married and you didn't know how normal you were. It is common in the homes of people who are religious to be in different places with on certain issues. You did not marry somebody who agrees with you in everything. In fact, you don't even agree with yourself in everything because you change your mind. So it's not a symbol of Oh, God brought us together because we never disagree. Eh. If you never disagree, somebody stop thinking. Somebody's just trying to keep the peace. So in the home, there will be conflict, and there will be conflict over religion. That's guaranteed. Guaranteed. You know, if you're an Adventist and you, you grow up, uh, you're going to learn when the children come, that mom and dad don't agree on how to keep the Sabbath. Simply don't. There aren't two people on earth who agree how to keep the Sabbath. And just about the time they do agree, one of them's gonna change their mind on something. Because it's an experiment. We're learning. So, after a nice Sabbath meal or a walk, one of the kids has a Frisbee. It's not uncommon. One parent says, yeah, that'd be fine. The other parent says, oh no. And what do you do with that? That's life. That's real. That has to be prayed over, has to be talked about, has to be worked through, or it is a problem that will brew. Because when you get religion involved in an emotional thing, oh buddy, you're going to throw the foreskin at him. <laughs> Call him a man or a husband of blood. Real people. Real issues. But a real God. Who is merciful and compassionate. Well, the net result of this is Zipporah is sent home. She does not continue to Egypt. How do we know that? Look at Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, this takes place after they've come out of Egypt. And in Exodus 18, verse 1, it says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. 
with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. Interesting. He sent her back. How, how much peace and joy do you think that gave him as he moves on to an uncertain future? Even though God has promised him that future, he has not seen it. So, I believe it is nearly impossible for us to imagine the heavy responsibility Moses carried. While he is in Egypt, he'll have to deal with Pharaoh and all that's associated with it. He'll have to deal with unbelieving, critical Jews and all that's associated with that. And he'll have to deal with everything associated with this tremendous enterprise. And behind it all, he carries the burden of a marriage that is stressed. They're not communicating by cell phone saying, oh, I do love you and I'm sorry. And no. He's living with the knowledge that there is stress between him and his little bird. And that's what Zipporah means. Well, what is the big deal about circumcision anyways? Uh, in Genesis 17, you have the first reference to it. God has promised Abraham that his descendants would be as the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea and that they would be given all the land that Abraham was walking on. And that was a promise given by God. The part that man had to play was to believe God and follow where God led. Sit, just believe and follow where God led. And so an agreement was made known as a covenant. The symbol of the covenant was circumcision. That's what God chose, that's what God wanted, and that's what was. For some reason he chose that. When we get to heaven, we can ask him. Well, I've never found a clear theological description as to why the necessity of that, except God said that's what it's gonna be. So everyone who was born in the Hebrew covenant, the males had to be circumcised. Moses is on his way to get the Hebrew children and he has not even done that in his own household. So God stopped it, said, no, you're representing me and the covenant still holds. So a question comes to mind, are we still under that covenant? In a way, we are. God's promise to Abraham is our promise. But what about circumcision? Do you have to be circumcised to be a member of the church? Yes. But not the way they were. The New Testament speaks of a different circumcision. And I'm grateful for the different circumcision because I'd hate to be the person who has to find out if people are or are not. I guess we design our churches with a little room off to the side. Hi, I'm the elder of circumcision inspection. Hmm. We'd probably have a medical doctor do it to be sure. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament circumcision. It's found in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. 
I really got confused this morning because I was just joking around with Pastor Brad and he joked right back and he stumped me. I was just being foolish and I said, Brad, do you remember your circumcision? He looked at me and he said, which one? Hi. <laughs> what do you do with that? Colossians chapter 2. Perhaps he had this in mind. Verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Watch this. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You're complete in Christ. That means you're complete in Christ. We read on. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in the trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. So what is the New Testament church's circumcision? It's baptism. It's baptism. That's the sign of the covenant. We accept Christ as our Savior and we're baptized. That is the circumcision that the New Testament teaches us. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 4. Just two more verses. Exodus chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. So Zipporah's gone back, and it says, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Now we have a very touching scene. Moses has someone he now can talk to. He has someone he can share what has happened to him and what's going to happen. And Aaron believes him and encourages him and lauds upon him affection. Moses needed all of that. In God's mercy, Help came to Moses. I want you to think about Moses and what he has been through and what he is anticipating. His life is completely changed. His wife doesn't understand and she is not supportive. He is filled with doubt. He is filled with fear. He is filled with confusion. Yet he obeys God to the best of his understanding. God spoke to him. God sent him support and God promised him victory. Today, we walk a similar path. We all have doubt, we all have fear, we all have confusion, and we all from time to time have a spouse who doesn't understand us and sometimes in our lives doesn't support us. Those things happen. We're real people, they were real people. But God is merciful. He still speaks to us. His primary method is through His Word. 
He also sends us support by association with fellow followers of Christ. There are errands here today. There are errands in our life. There are people who come alongside, who listen to our story, who embrace us, who encourage us, and who believe us. And though filled with doubt, fear, and confusion, we come once a week on the Sabbath to meet together to see other travelers and to hear God's promises of victory and hope. That's why we gather together. I want to leave you today with a promise. Please turn to Matthew 28. It's the promise Jesus left us with. We're going to read several verses because it's a prom the promise is at the end of this passage. But in order to get it contextually, we have to read these verses. Jesus has died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He's about to go to heaven. And he says this, verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here you go. Here's your promise. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means the end of the world. Jesus has said, in your doubts, in your fears, in your confusions, in the difficulties that come your way, I am with you even to the end of the world. And I don't know about you, but it seems like our world is ending. What a mess. What a mess. I'm looking forward to Christmas so there's something decent to watch on TV. Those sappy Hallmark stories are a lot better than the news. God is with us always. Now I want you to do something. <clears throat> I want you to turn to a person next to you. And if you have to move because you're not near somebody, that's all right. We'll give you time to do that. I want you to say this, God is with you always. I saw one wife talking to her husband and it looked like she said, so watch it. <laughs> Folks, I want you to be men and women and young people of courage. We're frail dust. We live in a real world, but we have a powerful, wonderful, loving, forgiving, merciful God. And He has promised to be with us always. And He'll take our sins as far as the east from the west. He'll cast them from us. And He'll love us. He'll encourage us. 
and he'll get us up and going again. And we are never alone. He is always, always with us. Let's stand as we have our closing song.